I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast. A spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, you can call us LL Cool J because we are in... <laughs> The house, but while you're on, you might as well also call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. If you like this podcast, please do give us a follow on all of the usual social media places Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also, if you're feeling particularly generous, follow either of your hosts as well. You can find me at It's Adam Nicholas on Twitter, or you can find Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. You can catch this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We would love you to subscribe. You can listen to it on Spotify. We would love you to follow. You can listen on Acast. We'd love you to subscribe there. Pretty much anywhere online that you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can also find the podcast through the Acast player on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. There was a new episode uploaded there every Friday. And for the second time this season, Nicholas, we will be inducting somebody from our Hollywood Talk of Fame from the new for season three retweets crew there will be somebody coming who retweeted the podcast last week for anybody who missed this last week or the week before if you retweet the tweet that goes out on fridays you will be entered into a random draw and we will draw one of those names out of a hat to join our hollywood talk of fame please keep leaving us feedback and leaving us five star reviews we can say something nice and say something nasty because we will be returning to those reviews in the near future but we're just appreciating the growth that we're getting on the twitter account building a community of people that can talk themselves horse about a talking horse that inductee is coming later on Hooray! Retweets! <laughs> but let's not waste any more time with all our rambling on because it is, of course, another episode of Podcast Horseman, which means another episode of Bojack Horseman. We are at season three, and it's episode three, Bojack Kills. Bojack is framed for the murder of a whale world dancer. Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd get into a stinky situation with the skunk next door. <laughs> I smell something... Fishy? You do indeed smell something fishy. Because this episode starts, as we think, like many have at this point, with a flashback to an episode of Horsing Around. Uh, the, horse is in the horse is in the kitchen with Goober and Olivia. Uh, he asks, where his birthday cake is? Olivia blames Goober, who says that it wasn't him, but she's welcome to check his pockets. Uh, that's a slightly gross moment, knowing what we know about what went on on that set. 
Um, but before the scene can go any further, after a go-home goober, the tape comes to a freeze frame. It's all sort of stopped on the pause screen. And we hear in the background a grizzled voice say, Oh, I was a goober, all right. I goobed with the best of them. Whatever that might entail. The camera pulls back to reveal the man who, well, the man who was once a boy who played Goober in front of Whale World. He proclaims himself the owner, proprietor, and number one customer at Whale World, which is not, as we first think, a SeaWorld type organization, but a whale strip club. What follows is a pitch black dark advertisement for his whale strip club, where what he's done is bring together the world of sort of aquatic centres and sea life centres with actual real life strip clubs. He notes that it's a family environment, a place to bring your children. Quote, you and your little ones are going to get moist. At which point the word moist flashes up on screen as the whales jump into the water and splash the children. He says, bring your prepubescent daughters who are beginning to be cognizant of a woman's role in the world. They weren't internalised <laughs> deeply problematic notions about the commodification of sexuality in today's society. It's just whales. <laughs> and then at the point at which the people are talking too much about it, he says, stop it. And the word stop it appears on screen in angry red text. He says, it's a fun, sexy time for the whole family. And that's where we hit the credits. This is an amazing cold open. And obviously it's hideous. We are witnessing something absolutely hideous. Um, I've tried to avoid referencing all of the visuals we get at that time because I assume several will appear later on from your good self who had to endure that in the podcast. But the sight in the background of pole dancing whales being presented as sort of children's entertainers. Um, we see like lap dancing rooms where whales are taking dads and their children off into little private doorways as it moulds together the strip club and the sea life centre is absolutely amazing. Yes, it's awful, but it's incredible that, and only in a show like Bojack Horseman could they draw a through line between those two environments and actually make them one. Um, what it kind of makes you realise very quickly and with the jagged edge that only Bojack Horseman can bring is that there is a certain connection between those two things, but we'd never be able to draw that line because whales aren't human in our world. You are yeah. seeing the exploitation of animals just as you see the exploitation of women and of course, it would be Bojack Horseman in this world of anthropomorphized people where these two things can be brought together. You would have never thought to draw that line, but Bojack does. It's hideous, but it's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. And it's, it's pretty, well, I mean, it feels like a wasted sentence, this, because we know it already. But it's just incredibly clever and uh, insightful writing and mm. sort of creativity from the people who make this show. Because ultimately, like, who would have ever in the history of ever thought to put those things together and like have what is essentially a very entertaining gag to a certain extent to yeah. show you just how Goober's life's turned out <laughs> actually also be like a really an intelligent lens for you to look through and go like oh yeah like this is weird but when you break these things down individually there's some actual really intelligent commentary going on here about society in general it's played for that very, it's played for gallows humour rather than just strictly for humour because, of course, you find yourself immediately sympathising with the whales and your first thought is to sympathise with the human version of the whales rather than the whales themselves and then as soon as you see them diving into a pool you realise, hang on, that's what they actually do in the real world too. And it's worth noting here, um, for those that listen to our Christmas special, which is just gag, 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 only in the Christmas special at this well, point... There, well, now, there, you, should, you should point out there that that's not... That isn't what we do 
we don't audibly like audio assault people to the point where they want to gag. We're trying to tell them that <laughs> within the show, it's a laugh a minute, laugh a minute, laugh a minute. <laughs> That's a fair point. I will try and rephrase that. There are an awful lot of jokes in the Christmas <laughs> special. But I'm sure people hearing us just laugh our way through it were gag, 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 gag. Yes. Um, in that episode, which is absolutely canon to Bojack Horseman, it's why we reviewed it at the point we did at the very end of season one before season two, it has a place. But there is explicit references to the life that the actor that played Goober lived after the fact and an incident with Laker girls, which Bojack doesn't really want to talk about. We know that he's been into some pretty nasty stuff that may or may not involve young girls. Um, That isn't then addressed in season one or season two or the start of season three of Bojack Horseman. But if you've watched it, you know it's there. And then there are repeated references from Goober about bringing young children and young girls to an environment where they might not potentially be safe. And you could probably say that in some weird way, shape or form, he's managed to find a loop blowhole. Oh, my God. In that arrangement, because, well, obviously what he's been doing with the kids is disastrously bad. The Bojack doesn't want to talk about or underage girls, I should point out. And this is him kind of he's found a way to make this work, which is I don't know why I'm laughing. because It's disgusting. But (laughs) this is Bojack Horseman. You're laughing because you managed to drag some wordplay from it. You took something yeah. you took something positive from this awful situation. I try. That's all I'm here for, really. You speak intelligently and I chuck in some dad <laughs> jokes. That's it. That's all the show is. <laughs> I'm glad to think that, that would be maybe my influence on you from all the time we've known each other. I thought I had more in the tank. Speaking of being in the tank, let's get away from the whales for a brief while because Bojack is not currently at this strip club. But he's at a non-dominational winter play at an elementary school. That's where the episode starts proper after the credits. He's there to schmooze, sorry, hobnob, uh, with various parents there because they are uh, of some sort of prestige that may be able to sway things in his favour in the Oscar vote. He's there, of course, with Anna and Diane, who is there doing his social media for him as well. Um, we join him in progress. We find out through this, the exposition have been on a phone call with Jill Pill. She is asking about him uh, going to see Cuddly Whiskers. He said he had done it, there was nothing there. She can smell straight through his bullshit. Uh, but it turns out she desperately needs him to go. It is not just a visit to see how he's doing, as she alluded to in episode two, more the fact that she needs him to retrieve something. Um, it turns out that Jill Pill and Cuddly Whiskers were lovers, and she left a letter there which has some intimate information that she'd like Bojack to go and retrieve. Uh, he goes to leave to go and get this done, and Anna reminds him that he has various other Oscar bait duties to do. He's got bat mitzvahs to attend and the like. Um, but she does note that she has complete faith in him and Bojack is stopped in his tracks by this because to quote him nobody has ever said that to him before (laughs) Diane obviously doing his social media um, notes that because he's leaving she can finally take a break Uh, she makes a big deal and a big point of saying oh the very idea of children is pretty gross and she's glad to take a smoke break to get away from it a bit as Bojack takes an exit off to the side Um, she gets a call before she can have her tab uh, and sighs deeply. It's then she looks at a phone, and we see it from her point of view, and it says husband, with, of course, the ball for Mr. Peanut Butter's uh, icon there. Um, they have a, a brief chat, which is, as Mr. Peanut Butter describes it, is daily download. It's uh, on the advice of their therapist. And the entire conversation takes place in that psycho babble. We've seen them trying to get through, having gone to marriage counsellor. I hear you, I understand you, I receive you, so on and so forth. Um it's harder on Diane than it is on Mr. Peanut Butter from what we're led to believe. So much so that when she leaves a gap, he is waiting for her to fill it 
to let her know that his words have been accepted and that he's been heard, which she then has to catch herself on and she kind of does it anyway. Uh, he tells her not to work too hard and uh, she says, thank you very much. And all, all she tells him not to do is to mess around with the skunk next door. But more on that later on, as you've alluded to in the Netflix uh, synopsis. Bojack and Diane travel off, off into the car to do a couple of Bojack's errands and, of course, go to Cuddly Whiskers. They're having an awkward conversation about her avoiding him. Um, she's still quite spooked about the time she spent living in his apartment for months and on end without Mr. Peanutbutter knowing. She's still questioning the influence that Bojack is having on her life personally and basically rather awkwardly asks them to just keep it professional. She believes that they bring out the worst in each other and Bojack, feeling again on the ropes from that a little bit, pretends that he agrees and says, yeah, that's probably the best. <laughs> we should do that. You can tell he doesn't feel that way, but they agree to keep things professional all the same, which Bojack breaks instantly by revealing that the car has pulled up outside Cuddly Whiskers' house and he's going to try and do this errand for Jill Pill instead of going on to do the Oscars stuff. Uh, uh, Cuddly Whiskers' house is open. They walk straight in. It's looking ransacked and like left disregarded for all intents and purposes. Remember the last time we saw this was in a flashback sequence to Bojack and Cuddly Whiskers at the height of Cuddly Whiskers' power, uh, drafting the script for the first episode of the Bojack Horseman show. But it looks very different now. Um, it's just strewn with various um, drug and decay paraphernalia. Uh, and Diane, <laughs> by, by the pool, notices a whale floating face down. Um, she grabs the phone to see what, what might have been going on with this, this woman, this whale woman that appears to be dead. But before they can really do anything, Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face and his officers burst out of the bush and hold uh, Bojack and Diane at gunpoint. They put Bojack in cuffs uh, and arrest him for the murder of this uh, of this stripper. Um, there's a lovely bit of LAPD dialogue, which as we now know with Meow Meow Fuzzy Face is him kind of living a cop movie while being a cop himself. And that immediately trivialises this murder, where whilst if you listen to this and haven't seen it, you might be thinking, oh my word, Bojack framed for murder. It is almost immediately played that this is going to be more of a comedic storyline than a serious one. Um, quite a lot to unpack, really, there. Uh, we've obviously got Bojack still on the Oscar tour, but uh, a straight dive back into Bojack and Diane being forced to revisit where their relationship's currently at before they're able to go on and do work. You know when Di Diane and Bojack are going to get together, we're going to be getting something good. I'm pleased we've got this, though, because this was kind of that sort of much-needed acknowledgement of they were really in, or Diane certainly was in a really bad place, wasn't she, in, in season two. First time we really get any sort of insight into that. But you could, you'd struggle to argue with what you're saying, though, wouldn't you? I mean, like, it might not be intentional, but they are. Misery does indeed love company, as we saw the effect she had on Bojack. She needs to be around people who aren't going to, like, sort of enable what she wants to yeah. do. Like, these are, she needs to be around people who are going to push, push in the right direction. Even though maybe it's not the direction she wants to go, given the fact we've seen this stuff with peanut butter, where she sounds like she's acquiescing what he wants, but at the same time doesn't sound as into it maybe as what he is. Um, a lot going on there, though, and it's interesting to see their dynamic, certainly, to this point. Especially Bojack, though, because he's never going to be able to keep it professional. We know Bojack Horse, and we've seen too much of Bojack at this point for that. And as we immediately see, breaks that entirely. You're right about Diane and Bojack. They come together, and there's just a there's an energy about those characters being on screen 
that then lets you know that whatever they're going to be doing together is going to be the most important thing in the episode, even if it's a silly adventure, which we're believe about to go on. I thought there was it was interesting that you had two back-to-back exchanges that tells you where Diane's at with Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack simultaneously. We've always talked about Peanut Butter and Bojack being on separate tracks, like ultimately the same track, just on separate sides of it. Get it? Suddenly. Track? So, <laughs> do you get it? Get it? Do you get it? <laughs> A dog track, a horse track, which one's Diane's going to place a bet on? This episode, it seems like it's Bojack. It's quite interesting here how she would say to Bojack, we're bad for each other, personally and professionally. We think that Bojack is not agreeing with that because he's just tone deaf and he's maybe missed what has happened to Diane's life. But that doesn't really marry up with the experience he's had. Ever since he's met Diane, everything's gone brilliantly for him. He might be incredibly toxic and destructive, but things have gone just fine for him as part of their relationship. It's only her that has been dragged into the tar through Bojack's relationship with her. And as relates to Mr. Peanut Butter, obviously they have this conversation, as I said, that was all very stilted and they're still trying to like work through work through their issues through the language of the marriage council rather than the language of each other. And yet, in doing that, she couldn't really be upfront with Mr. Peanut Butter and yet was very, very cold and honest with Bojack. She told Bojack exactly what she needed to get off her chest with him in a way that she couldn't do with Mr. Peanut Butter. And it just shows you where currently sort of her pendulum is swinging between those two, probably for the duration of the series, the two most important male figures in her life. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating that they decided to put, it's always fun when they give us an episode where it's going to be a Bojack and Diane episode. We always enjoy those. But the literal one person probably who you would imagine in a time like right now in their relationship between Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter is probably the last person Peanut Butter wants her and feels comfortable with her being around, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, and we may get a little bit more of that later on as well. Um, to the police station, where we learn that the murdered whale was called Nadia, um, but Diane and Bojack aren't held, because while in custody, Diane Googles their rights and notes they can't without any charges, which wrong-foots me on my fuzzy face, uh, so we'll wait there, go. <laughs> As they leave, Diane reveals that she's actually stolen Nadia's phone. uh, And the last text said, Bojack is going to kill me. Um, It dawns on her that somebody might be trying to frame Bojack for murder. Obviously, the fact that they discovered this phone, having discovered the body, having been sent there in the first place. Uh, And she wants to study this further. She worries that Bojack might be getting framed or that somebody might be targeting. But, you know, they've got to get to a bat mitzvah. Oscar, Oscar buzz must be done. So off they go to the Bat Mitzvah, where Bojack does some pretty fantastic hobnobbing. Um, he casually calls Jill Pill after the insistence of Diane and just simply asks her up front if she wanted to frame her for murder. Um, but she just really wants that letter. You tend to believe what she's saying there is that she just desperately needs that letter um, from Cuddly Whiskers' house. Uh, meanwhile, Diane calls Skinny Gina. That was the last person that um, Nadia had any contact with, the last person that she sent that message to about Bojack, um, who answers only to be harassed off the phone by somebody that Bojack and Diane eventually identify as adult goober. They're starting to put the pieces together. Obviously, this is a woman that might work at Whale World. Um, they go to look, like, track her down at Whale World, but are immediately intercepted by Goober himself, who just assumes that Bojack is there to see him, to reconnect after having not seen each other since the show left the air. Uh, he has this, in what is obviously a running theme with Bojack Horseman, he has his heart broken by Bojack, within minutes of them interaction for the first time in decades when Bojack can't even remember his name with the closest guess he says Goobert <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's then that uh, Goober realises that they're not there to see him at all but to see one of his uh, one of his whale strippers Nadia um, 
He aggressively rebuts that these whales are strippers. They're family entertainers. And he, he gets them to look around and sees all the children there with their family taking pictures and enjoying the entertainment. Um, but they get skinny Gina anyway. She comes down and speaks to them, but they have to buy a private dance to get any additional time with her. She's on the clock after all. So off they go uh, into a private room and have the chat about Nadi's death as she gives both of them a very, very graphic lap dance. There was one point where she's leant right in front of Diane, who was telling her she doesn't need to do that, but she's on the clock. She's earning her money. <laughs> she needs to give away. She sort of drip feeds little bits of information um, about what might have happened uh, to Nadia and why the process of women gradually disappear off to Cuddly Whiskers' house. She notes that Cuddly Whiskers had a system, which doesn't sound very nice at all, uh, and how it's par for the course that whales at a certain point in their career um, just get just get disappeared by the way that this lifestyle works. In her words, she says, there she blows, there she goes, which Diane replies with, at which point she says, wash your mouth out, there are children here. And the camera pulls out to reveal two children getting another lap dance from a whale on the other side of the room. Which, again, we've gone just long enough to only think of it as a strip club. Like, you've temporarily forgotten that it's a family entertainment complex. And this is something children have access to. Um it turns out a lot of the whales would have hung out at Cuddly Whiskers' empty house uh, having various parties. There was probably drugs involved um, and she was going to help them find out a little bit more about what was going on. She noted after denying a knowledge of any sort of text and Bojack himself um, that there was a party they could go to after the fact, but they had to use Bojack's name as a secret way to get in. Um, before we get to uh, the next bit of Bojack and Diane's day, this gag, this lap dancing gag, was huge it's such a big joke and again it's how they've lent on just how hideous an establishment this is but have found ways to make it funny it's so funny i don't know how they keep doing it uh in bojack horseman where they will give you the scene and they give you enough of the scene that you are certain that that's the scene like it couldn't possibly be anything else <laughs> here is enough sometimes you'll see this in shows where they just like the way the, the the way the scene is spaced out, you're like, well, they're gonna do something, yeah. Bojack is the master of doing it where they just just give you enough where you're like, oh, that's the scene. This pull away to reveal the kids and the fact that this <laughs> this whale world stripper has such moral high standards. <laughs> like, no, that is no jive, of course, on the professional stripping whatsoever. But the, given the exact circumstances we're in at the minute, where Diane is almost begging her to not do a proper dance on her <laughs> just while they have this conversation because she doesn't need to. And the Diane's potty mouth is the thing that eventually makes her say, there's kids in here, God damn it!" basically. <laughs> they go away and the two kids just sitting there in their beanie hats just watching the stripper as a stripper. They can't be, they, can't, they must be like 10 years old or something like that, if that. Brilliantly done this. And again, within the layers upon layers that we talk about in Bojack all the time, they managed to give us that bit of social commentary Maybe some we didn't really want in this episode particularly, and then also give us a nice advancement of the narrative too. It's it's just they've assembled a brilliant concept of the whale world being a strip club, and what a feast that must have been in the writers' room at this point of just how much can we do with that yeah. that single setting, that single gag again, and it's earned through the universe that created in Bojack. It's it's a joy to behold. Um, 
less so is where they have to go next to their adventure, which is to an old folks home, a care home for retired animal actors, where again, Bojack is canvassing. These people have got Oscar votes. They're obviously been in the industry, we would guess, 50 to 60 years and have thus got a, a bit of sway with where the Oscar might go. Um, so Bojack is uh, trying to have conversations after the fact with Diane about long-lasting happiness. Um, however, she is very sincere having had this experience and he just seems to be making it about himself and about his search for Oscar while being surrounded by others that have clearly not found that long lasting happiness by virtue of being in this care center effectively abandoned by their children and their grandchildren as we get from a bit of dialogue between who I think we believe to be is Mr. Ed and a carer who says who he asks will your children be coming today uh no like so <laughs> Bojack in the quest of this lifelong happiness of all the places to have this conversation with Diane he doesn't get but the irony of maybe the conversations having with Diane. She seems to be fully aware of the bigger picture for a second, but it's too late because as much as she wants to concentrate on her own life, they are dragged headfirst back into this adventure of what on earth is going on with Bojack and this dead whale. They go to the after party as instructed, where within the club at this point, it's become whale world after hours, as if daytime hours weren't after hours enough. This is an after hours and this is whale word underground. There's a fight pit established in the middle of the room where two whales uh, fight in for money and for just the, the horrible hoots and hollers of various awful men. Um, they see this seedy looking rabbit go into a locked door and they follow um, through. They follow the rabbit um, and it's this depraved scene. It's a corridor where it just like people are sort of strung out on all various sort of narcotics. Um, it's away from the the glossier finish of Whale World. It's clearly like more of a, if you can call it that. If you can call a, it that. <laughs> it's more of a, a private corridor. So they follow the white rabbit and they see at the end of this corridor the word Bojack Kills daubed in paint on this wall. Um, they speak to a squid that is guarding the locked door and then it suddenly all becomes clear. Uh, Goober is using the club to sell drugs with Bojack's face on it. Just as he is shown the little bag of drugs with his face on, he is clubbed from up from behind. Uh, <laughs> And they suddenly find themselves tied up, tied to a chair in Goober's office with Goober toting a gun and explaining to them all why they come here, you've got a face on. In a brilliant gag, Bojack goes off on a moment for himself where he believes Goober to have called the drug Bojack because of Bojack's fame after the show and the, the opiates that proves to be the addictive quality of the heroin. But Goober just cuts that down to pieces by saying, well, no, it's just because you were the horse. Get it? You're the horse. Do you get it? At which point, just when Bojack's balloon's been popped, the police burst in very dramatically again because uh, Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face is there with his assistant Lindsay, who has been tracking the tweets through uh, everything Diane's been sending for Bojack's Oscar buzz. Uh, we find out as they cuff a goober and they sort of upend him that his name is Richie Osborne, at which point Bojack goes, oh, yeah, and it was, what was it, Ricky? Richard? <laughs> Still gets it wrong. Uh so yes, yeah, so they've been checking the uh, the tweets. Um, it allows obviously Diane and Bojack to go free, um, and they're driving away and realise that in fact Nadia had just taken an overdose. Bojack had killed, but it was the drugs rather than Bojack himself. Um, Diane notes it's uh, <laughs> it's turned into a real caper, a real Jill pill, jail fail killer whale caper. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, 
Uh, she suddenly is uh, it's noted by Bojack that she's doing 35 in a 50 zone, speeding as they go back to Cuddly Whiskers' house to try and complete this investigation, which at this point they've kind of taken on themselves as part of more of an action-adventure cop drama than they have finding out who's framed Bojack, because now they know for definite that nobody has framed Bojack. They end up back at the place anyway, because Bojack is still to get the letter. He finds it straight away, and within it, it notes that it mentions Cuddly Whiskers' property in Ojai, uh, which leads them to head up there to try and find Cuddly Whiskers himself. Uh, at this point, Diane gets a call from uh, Mr. Peanut Butter, who asks quite curtly where the hell she is. Uh, she notes she's with Bojack, obviously in Ojai, which she just takes as a greeting rather than actual location. Mm. Uh, but he cuts her off, annoyed. Um, she tries to uh, use the marriage counsellor lingo, the verbiage again, um, but he cuts her off angrily again say that he's worried about her. She tries again with all the affirmation and all the positive talk and saying that she hears him and she understands him. But he cuts her off a third time and says, no, stop. You have to call me. You can't keep doing this to me. She says, I'm sorry. But he just simply says he's going to bed. Uh, Bojack also says he's sorry, but she notes it's not his fault. It's hers. Um, before we get to uh, Cuddly Whiskers, who is about to break the silence, a very pregnant pause that we get between Bojack and Diane. Um, this interaction between Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane brought you back down to earth with a thud. The Bojack has been framed for murder plot was very serious until it wasn't. So mm. obviously we see the horse and we see the Bojack and we see the drugs and it just becomes a bit of light entertainment and a bit of riffing on Goober's past and obviously Goober's name. But this brings everything back into sharp focus that Diane has been on this daft adventure with Bojack all day considering the first conversation we heard was them to keep it professional. And at the point at which she has this last check-in with Mr. Peanut Butter, it goes horribly. I know obviously you're going to get more into Mr. Peanut Butter's narrative in just a second. Uh, but I think it's it's hard to see because of how enthusiastic Mr. Peanut Butter is about this other stuff. Like prior, isn't he? He's the one who's trying to, uh, to keep up the sort of marriage counselling uh, techniques that they've been taught. It looks more like a chore to Diane. And it just feels like the more she was getting into this and the more even that exact little tongue twist and caper remark that you made um, was her, she's just in there and it suddenly felt like, wow, what are we actually doing here? She's just, she's in it for the excitement rather than in it. She didn't even want to be part of it initially and now mm -hmm. she's the one who's essentially, she's literally the one driving the car, which is a complete swap from the beginning where it's Bojack driving. Um, and then obviously Mr. Peanut, but I just unhappy. And kind of shows you just how much he's trying on the other end like, he's the one who seems like he's the enthusiastic one about all of this. And actually, when finally that sort of lack of reciprocation gets a little bit too much, he sort of, he goes, he's angry, as you can imagine, because that's a sign of a partner who maybe isn't trying as much as what he is. He's not, um, he's not scripted as any kind of hero in the argument, though. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, he's nasty. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's borderline cruel, I would say, in the way in which, not so much in what he says, but absolutely in how he handles her and how he cuts her off. Uh, he bollocks her. He bollocks her and then he tries to sort of, he tries to reclaim a bit of ownership of her. It's less about owning the relationship and the problems in the relationship. It's more about owning her as his wife and as his property. That whole bit about you have to call me, you can't keep doing this to me. It's, it's a total, obviously, subversion of the I hear you, I understand you, I feel yeah. your pain, all that sort of stuff. But very specifically as well, it's a kind of... I think he's tipped on towards toxic masculinity here, and I don't think that's by accident. So, interesting this, because I think this might be the first time 
I can think that you and I, not that I, I think what you've said is right, but I also think I'm trying to put myself in peanut butter shoes. And I, I, I agree. He's definitely creeping up towards the boundaries of like, I own you now. You have to do what I want. You have to do what I say. But you are talking about a man who has just spent two months, as his wife said to him, she didn't want to talk to him on the phone anymore. And he had to just figure that out. Like, yeah. and he's obviously still is trying to figure that out. Like, him heading in the direction that he is isn't going to solve that, obviously. But he's obviously not over it. He's classic Mr. Peanut Butter, pretending to be okay about it and everything being fine. But actually, he's not. And he's he's trying to be. But the reality here is that he's it's clearly had more of an effect than he'd like to admit. Uh, again, there's other stuff we will find out he's been doing, which will suggest the same. They both sound like they've been doing some daft stuff that has been taking them further apart in their personal lives instead of doing things that are bringing them closer together. And this is wild peanut butter. It does end up getting on the, on the wrong end of the stick of like, you need to do this, you need to do that. I, I would more, of, I, personally, I felt like it came more from a place of, he, he doesn't know what else to do. He, he's trying so hard to do all this stuff and he's had to put up with feeling like completely and utterly lost. And he's trying to find his way back. Although ultimately, if he keeps going in that direction, it's going to be wrong for both of them because they can't, it's not going to work for both of them, this is it. Nicholas, we've disagreed, but I hear you. I understand you, and I, <laughs> and I affirm your feelings. Am I heard and understood? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we've got cuddly whiskers to break that silence. <laughs> uh, they have found him at his place in Ohio, and he explains that he had a massive breakdown after the Bojack Horseman show. And then, in a wonderful comment, as if there is never enough in this show about how men just have it easy still went on to make loads of hit films and millions of dollars. He won Oscars during this time. After what we know from the opening line of the Bojack Horseman show, a car crash, a disaster, a near career killer. Go back to the pilot and Bojack's asked, what have you been doing? Because it's already been erased from his IMDb, as it were. Not a worry for Goodly Whiskers. He's just gone on and made massive blockbusters and tons of money and won Oscars because it's just that easy for a man in Hollywood. Um, but he's noted that winning those Oscars, ultimately, and this was the big thing that hit Spojack like a bullet, was meaningless. So everything he's doing has no purpose. Um, he wanted to help instead of uh, just make films and make entertainment. So he turned his home into a halfway house for recovering drug addicts, making a system for their recovery. All along, Cuddly Whiskers was a-okay. Um, Diane, obviously having just taken one of them off Mr. Peanut Butter, chastises him for just taking off in the exact same way she'd just taken that herself. But he notes that he's happy and he's not just going to apologise for that. He says, it takes a long time to realise how truly miserable you are and even longer to realise that it doesn't have to be that way. That lands heavily with Diane post-conversation with the peanut butter and arguably maybe even heavier with Bojack who has just been told that the very thing he's programmed his entire life towards is literally meaningless um sort of ends quite somberly and it cuts to Bojack and Diane in the car on the way back home uh a lot of space is left when nothing is said at all with the two of them just staring off to opposite sides at which Bojack tries to break the awkward silence and says can you believe that guy what a nut right and Diane says I just want to go home at which point we get yet more silence, yet more time to look at the fractures that these two are undergoing. And then we hit the credits. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is not that like sort of crash cut to the, the sting of the credits. You are left to linger on this before it goes to cre- the end of the episode. There's no ending at all. It's just the miserable existence that these two have to continue on. Yeah, the, the conversation they've had with Cuddly Whiskers has clearly had its... The, I say desired effect. Uh, I think he just gives them both some home truths that maybe they weren't ready for on top of arguably days that have messed with their heads a little bit. Diane obviously coming off the bat of that uh, difficult conversation with Mr. Peanut Butter, whereas Bojack's had to... Well, yes, it was a whole laugh and a caper. Has just had to come to grips with the fact that there's an entire drug franchise essentially named after him. <laughs> and seeing people from his past, yes, he got off quite easy. I think we can both agree there. I did think it was funny, though, because Cuddly Whiskers has been a raging success his entire career. And the one failure of his life, pretty much, pretty much, was Bojack related. <laughs> I think that feels very noteworthy here. The man kills and the man stinks, much like. Mr. Peanut Butter, who did not listen to his wife in the very opening scene of this show because he was messing around with that goddamn skunk. Let's get briefly to the storyline, which features Mr. Peanut Butter, Princess Carolyn and Todd, Uh, because it does obviously factor into Diane's day in terms of the phone calls they're having and the various catch-ups they're having or not having, as the case may be, as Diane a couple of times decides to ignore his call. Uh, But the skunk has gotten on Mr. Peanut Butter because he didn't listen to the instructions uh, and in doing so got on his clothes. He then rolled onto the couch and then into every room in his house and all of his belongings because he just assumed that the smell of him on them would instead replace the smell of skunk on him. Uh, and also Todd smoked a joint. And that's why that's, <laughs> that's as bad as it does. They call Princess Carolyn round to do one of her wonderful sort of clean-up jobs, as she so often does. Um, it's so often a corpse, as she points out, that this should be a piece of cake compared to having to bury a body. Um the house is also full of spaghetti strainers, but he's forgotten why that is. And uh, God bless that poor accountant that's going to have to deal with that at some point down the line. Um, but in doing so, notes that obviously things are a little bit of a difficult place with him and Diane at the moment. He says they're getting stronger every day, but they're also five fights from a divorce. So, <laughs> so this skunk thing really has to be cleaned up. 
What, what an incredible bit of dialogue that is. Yeah, it's great. Um, Princess Caroline insists they both have a tomato bath, which they have together. Uh, they emerge out the tomato bath, looking really relaxed and really chilled. Todd is still a little bit high. And despite Todd and Princess Caroline's best efforts, Peter Butter doesn't use a towel to dry. He instead shakes like a dog, splattering the entire house with tomato juice, which was supposed to be obviously making it clean. Uh, <laughs> Princess Caroline deals with getting the house cleaned up and simply tells them to go and dispose of their clothes, to which she later finds they've set fire to in the garden <laughs> with everything else in the lawn burning around them. Uh, the whole lawn is on fire, the clothes are on fire. Princess Carolyn has an idea on how she can go and fix it, sort of turns a big negative into a big positive because she's such a brilliant agent about how it's going to make uh, Mr Peanut Butter look better by having a more ethically and environmentally friendly lawn instead of that one, which of course in itself is going to get Diane back on side. And everything seems to have worked itself out in this caper. But of course, to go back to where we're in Diane's, it rounds up not being so well. This is everything that Prince uh, Mr Peanut Butter has done in an effort to make sure that Diane is happy when she gets home. And that's why he's as angry as he is when it turns out that she's not going to be home at all and he's just going to go to bed. So yes, to, to take it back to the point you were making earlier on, there is a certain justification for his tone and his anger because he believes he's done everything in his power today to just make up, you know, things with his wife. They are five fights from a divorce, as he says. However, there is, of course, <laughs> there is of course the argument had he just listened to her about that skunk in the first place, he wouldn't have had to do it. There is always two sides to every story, and Bojack yeah. shows due to watertight writing that you are fully aware of both sides of the story. And I think that's the brilliant dynamic we get uh, in that, don't we? Is that Peanut Butter has also been a naughty, naughty dog. Like <laughs> in all of this, he's been a very bad boy, a very bad boy. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Because he should have like he should have been listening, and it's such a trivial thing that he does as well. I mean, only they could make us care about him and Todd both getting skunked, <laughs> and then the hilarity that ensues from it. But you would argue, as you said there, that he has done so much and is so conscious of it. Like, if 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 we're working on the basis that Diane knows they are indeed both five fights away from potentially a divorce, which <laughs> Is, is like, I'm going to be the one who says it first this episode, is a powerhouse bit of dialogue, oh because Christ almighty, I remember being five fights away from, not a divorce, but from the end of a relationship, and it's it's a very real thing that way, like you know for a fact, it could, it could be just a few away, maybe it's not so, five. It's so precarious know. and unpleasant yeah. isn't it, that yeah. air, that air that yeah. exists at the time. Five big fights, which suggests it's, had to happen. it's happened before. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, when you get that sense, which you assume they both have, Peanut Butter's doing everything he possibly can. He, he's cocked up, you know, he's a dog, you know, he's a silly dog. So he's cocked up and he's trying to sort that out. Diane, on the other hand, knowing this, has ignored his phone calls twice and already in the middle of a conversation wasn't giving him the sort of reciprocation that he was looking for on the phone, which they're both supposed to be agreeing to, presumably. From a marriage counselor, so in that in that regard, it's one of them things where you can you can see. I totally agree. You can see both sides. You can see why Peanut Butter would be furious, but you can also see he's not he's not completely clean. As in more ways than one, his hands are certainly dirty in this situation. It was just 
like just to wrap it up as a overall episode because like i say it's it normally we would talk a bit more in depth about what the other characters get up to but it's very much a full-on a plot episode with the daft b plot thing but daft is in fact quite deft because the b plot has to be as silly as it is to sort of catch her with just the severity of the call that mr yeah. peanut butter and like it's the the murder mystery and to a lesser extent the bojack drugs and the skunks and the tomato juice it's hanging a lampshade on a marriage that is falling apart and a, in the case of all the central characters really lives that are not being lived and led to the fullest big huge stuff massive conversations to be had and the episode is a distraction piece for that in the exact same way that the characters adventures are a distraction yeah. piece from them confronting it until a very literal bitter end and i think that's the credit to it it looks it looks on paper and certainly reads to your Nexus and their Netflix synopsis as quite a lightweight one. But the only lightweight stuff, the only lightweight stuff, Nicholas, is the whole plot. It's only everything, <laughs> else, it's only everything else that's going on underneath it that is yeah. full on heavyweight knockout punch stuff that doesn't hit you until the very last second when you least expect it. There's a real artfulness to the construction of the episode that I, I really appreciate by the end. I think if I was ever going to get a birthday cake from Raphael Bob Waxberg, I, I'm not sure what to expect because you bring you a birthday cake, but inside the birthday cake would be a bomb. Like <laughs> that's that's how good of his how good his writing is. He can turn something that's so deadly and dangerous and impactful, but like you receive it with such you're like, hey, look at this! It's whale world. Look at this! It's skunks. <laughs> it's tomato. It's all this sort of daft shit. And then eventually. When we get to the heart of it, heart and soul of it, actually, it turns out they've the whole episode really is about just how fractitious Diana, Mister Peanut Butter's relationship is, and how much the kind of lengths they're both going to to maybe try and avoid that. Whether it's just getting into daft trouble for Peanut Butter, or it's Diane initially who is hesitant to take a call to action with Bojack, who ends up completely commit. I, I thought that's the, one of the brilliant, most brilliant parts. It's quick and it's subtle. The fact she's literally driving the car for no reason yeah. other than the fact that she just happens to be the one driving the car all of a sudden where she gets right into the caper and then next minute when they go home in that very last scene, she's not driving the car. Like, it's tiny, but the little things they do on this show, man, they know what they're doing, even if they have just thrown some of the most ridiculous stuff of the show so far at us. I, uh, just to close the analysis this episode, I want Paul McCartney in my birthday cake and when RBW comes on the finale, I'll ask him for it. Yes, please do. Um, although, if you just bring the cake with Paul McCartney in, I'll be sure to make sure we don't let him get out of the cake and say anything whatsoever until after our end jingle. <laughs> well, if he comes close to us, we'll just say, get back. Get back. Get back to where he wants to belong. Get back. Well, that way, he won't be able to let us down then, will he? So it's all good. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be fine. We'll be absolutely fine. Anyway, shall we get into the deep dives before we go on? I think we best quick before we start our own Beatles caper. Indeed, before we start doing our own personal white album in here with all sorts of God knows what. Um, right, so this is, of course, host around section of this podcast where we go back and we look for all of the hidden hidden meanings behind things, the small details you might have missed, or maybe just a couple of Easter eggs along the way that we flirted with during this episode of Bojack Horseman. So let's go back to the very beginning, literally the cold open, while we see this wonderful advert for Whale World. I haven't done too much yet, but there was an interesting little thing that I just thought was funny. Because um, if you're ever going to try and find Whale World, Michael Hopley, you might find it kind of difficult because the little ticker that's going across the bottom as uh, Gooba is talking about how wonderful Whale World is will tell you the directions to get to Whale World, which are as follows. 
Take the five to the two, to the T134, to the 101, to the 405, to the 710, and exit Wheel World Way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so just utterly ridiculous. Uh, I don't know why I found that so funny, but it was very, very entertaining indeed. But then we go through, and the next place we get a whole treasure of things is at the kids' school that you mentioned, the non-denominational um, Christmas performance or whatever it was. <laughs> Holiday performance, sorry. Um, well, even more so, I'll, I'll say it was at a kids' school because we mm. find out the name of said school is the Rounded Corners Prep, <laughs> <laughs> which has the tagline, a gluten-free learning experience. Um, and they, they've got this wonderful mural outside the, the wall that we see as Diane leaves to take a phone call. And on that mural, we get a bunch of buzzwords like paleo, permissions, <laughs> confidence, clean eating, species, neutrality, <laughs> <laughs> allergy tolerance, cooperation, acceptance. And I think that might be it, actually. Oh, yeah, that's, it, that's actually some oh, lovely that. words on there. It's, it's all very modern. It's all very hmm. modern at this of course, when Diane comes out to take that call, she has a new ringtone once again, and that ringtone comes from the voice of Terry Gross, Michael, who is, of course, the host of NPR, you may know her from that radio show, or indeed just anything else. She's been mm. on quite a few things. A very recognisable voice, to say the least. Um, we go to Princess Carolyn's house, and one of the things I noticed on the wall of Princess Carolyn's house, I can't decide if we've mentioned this before, but I'm going to cover it anyway, because I think we haven't. Um, there's a lovely painting on the wall of a cat, Michael, with some flowery eyes, and the cat is blue. It is actually a reference to the real-life painting by Lewis Wynn. Can you guess what the painting's called? Go on. It's called Flower Eyes Cat. <laughs> <laughs> say what you see, Michael. Say what you see. <laughs> I didn't realise we were playing cat for it. <laughs> Very good. We go to Mr. Peanut Butter's house now, though, and as was referenced at the beginning of this episode, which I've been enjoying doing, actually, mm. because we've been given a lot of these throughout this season, so it's made my life easier. He, of course, comes up when he's specifically told by Princess Carolyn, whatever you do, now that you've been skunked by the skunk, do not go in the house, he says. Well, <laughs> call me LL Cool J, because I am in the house. <laughs> Very defeated, Mr. Peanut Butter, but very good nonetheless. Then we get a little weird, it's odd this one. I guess maybe just to highlight as landscapers around, we get a little shot to a random house. It's just a quick cutaway gag. Mm -hmm. And there's a random house with loads of mounds on the lawn outside. Turns out there's a very angry landscaper, Michael, who's chasing a mole, a mole man around outside this garden. Um, interestingly, the Chuck has reg, uh, the, the landscaper's registration, sorry, on his Chuck is LND. SCPR because he's a landscaper, Michael. But also on top of that, the mole that is running around being chased by this man with a rake, he's got a vest on, and it's one of those. Do you know where you get the band where it's like uh, Paul and Ringo and John and? Yeah. Well, it's it's the mole has a vest on that says burrow and tunnel and dig and hoard, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. Was such a stupid throwaway guy. Um, then we go to we do indeed go to Cuddly Whiskers' house after that. And um, one of the interesting things I got from this was when Bojack, two things actually, Bojack holding the Oscar, I thought that was really notable. Where he's like, ah, oh, this is what it feels like to hold one of these. And and he gets a little glimpse, doesn't he, of the mm. actual, what he might get in the future. He's kind of excited by it, but he still, it almost feels like he doesn't belong in his hand. Diane yeah. makes a comment. He's like, what, do you not think it should be in here? Does it not look like it suits 
But he does also make a, great, a brilliant joke where he says, "Ooh, he's a heavy. Now I know how Hillary Swank's arm got so jacked. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, two-time Academy Award winner Hillary Swank is obviously well accustomed to lifting a good Oscar or two. I also found it brilliant that... I, I, don't think you cover this, but Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face getting right excited about finding his next perp in the middle of what could potentially be a big murder case. He says, well, 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 or should I say, whale, whale, whale. <laughs> Killer whale, that is, or should I say, killed whale. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just... It's an inspired choice, this, oh, isn't it? But he's not even finished yet, though, because he, he goes further on to say, this is one I like to call black and white and dead all over. A whale of a crime. <laughs> it's just, it's top, top stuff. And I love, I love Officer Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. He's one of my favourite, like, lower tier characters in this show. And this is just another reason why. Him really committing to the gimmick of being that guy from basically every <laughs> special victims crime unit or CSI, whatever you want to say. Um, wonderful stuff. We go back to Mr. Peter Potter's house, and you may recall, Michael, he had a lovely conversation with Oxnard a few episodes ago, maybe even in the first episode of this season, where they just basically Oxnard pitched that stupid idea about spaghetti strainers. And as we go to Mr. Peter Potter's house, we discover that he has indeed followed through on his plan. <laughs> To buy all of the spaghetti strainers <laughs> as his entire house is covered in boxes of spaghetti strainers for a reason which he says I can't remember to be honest but I'm sure it'll pay off sometime <laughs> also an interesting interesting little bit of trivia not that this is anything um, specific to the episode but Todd as in that exact scene when Mr. Peanut Butter's talking about it he's in there with the um, he's got a spaghetti strainer on his head you can see his tattoos though you can see his Latin King's tattoo on his left arm. But as he turns to go away from the room, the way they've animated it, they've just flipped the image. So instead of him having the other tattoo he's got on his arm, you can see the Latin King's tattoo, but it's back to front. Oh, because they've okay. all... Not that I'm calling them lazy, Michael. I'm just saying <laughs> I love this show very much for anybody who's listening. But every now and again, we have to point these things out. Put that um, in the RBW firing squad section of the interview we're going to do on the finale, yes. Yeah. A total of three things we'll be able to ask him about that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, we, go to, <laughs> we go to the Los Angeles Police, de uh, police Department and we see the officer on fuzzy face says the words, your friend was doing the face-down mambo in the king-size battle. <laughs> it's just every scene he gets, he tries to steal. Yeah. Every single one. But let's go to the bat mitzvah, shall we, for a few more laughs. Uh, we get to the bat mitzvah, and it seems, Michael, that Mr. Peanut Butter is not the only one having trouble with getting good signs because the same company has been at it again as we see the sign for the bat mitzvah that says, Happy Bat Bat Mitzvah. Yes, two bats because she is a bat. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a bunch of really interesting guests in this that I have never noticed before, but I think they put them in to add to the sort of sort of the feeling we've had throughout this episode of just pure stupidity because there's a goat in the background who's a guest here. A leaping goat, perhaps, because like, it's like hopping up and down just randomly in this suit, a goat person in a suit just hopping up and down before it settles for a couple of seconds and then takes a bite out of one of the flower arrangements that you can see in the back because, as you might have guessed, Michael, it's a goat. You can go and get quite <laughs> hungry every now and again. But speaking of people getting hungry, there are two snake people at this event, this event presumably a couple, who turn up. And 
while Diane and Bojack are having the conversation, in the background is this snake man who is eyeing up the cake, and you can see him. He kind of looks it up and down and gets gets a gauge for it. We cut away from him, but when we next come back to him, he's done that thing that snakes do so terribly bad, where they extend its entire mouth, and it goes round the cake in a square shape, and he slowly but surely edges down the cake <laughs> as Diane's speaking. It's amazing. And then we get another shot of him later where he stood back up straight and he's got a massive cake in his neck and his Quite. wife is just looking at him furious by all of this. That's the first point I saw him reviewing this episode. Yeah. I just looked and I was like, why has he got a giant square neck? Like, I'd miss that completely. Yeah, so he, he eats the entire cake and his wife <laughs> is furious with his table that he kept, presumably. Um, but also, another person who's floating around in the background, you may recall, uh, Herb Kazaz had a bat executive the blind bat executive from his funeral episode, the one who spoke like this, and I can't remember <laughs> what his name was, but he turns up, he's wandering around in the background, he obviously hasn't had enough of events, not that a funeral is a happy one, but he turns up for the Batman. <laughs> anyway. Let's go back across to Whale World, where we see some of the ins and outs of this wonderful place. There's um, a photographer at Whale World who's taken loads of pictures. You may recall this is the same hipster Lima with the little hat and the dungarees and the yellow top, I believe. Uh, who was photographing Mr. Peanut Butter and Hank, I believe, when they were getting their promo pictures taken for um, Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. And whatever mm-hmm. Hank's show, Hank After Dark is show, I believe is. Um, or maybe it's not. Who knows? That's the guy. That's a photographer anyway. Um, but on top of that, he's taking pictures and we get a few funny scenes. And one of the stupidest ones is he's taking a picture of a little mole couple who are really short. Mm-hmm. Uh, the small couple and they're getting a picture taken with one of the dancers from Wheel World and the dancers breasts are resting one each <laughs> on the heads of these this small <laughs> couple who look like the most sensible sort of straight laced small couple possible <laughs> to the point they get divots in the top of their heads because <laughs> the breasts are weighing their head down so much and they just take it in their stride get that picture taken and then wander off and it's amazing okay. brilliant brilliant stuff this also in the background um on a hot air hockey table uh, is one of those we see the mother who's walking around with a family of four birds we've seen a million times in various mm. episodes of the last three seasons one of her kids is there playing air hockey in the background which i thought was quite a nice little nod and then on top of that you have mentioned it already but i love this line because there she blows then now she goes michael which is the cruel fate of a dancer at Whale World, but yep. what are you going to do, brother? Anyway, we go to the Silver Screen Senior Centre, which you, of course, mentioned earlier. The home for old veteran actors. We, of course, mm. mentioned Mr. Ed already, who is there, looking a bit confused, <laughs> to say the least. But behind Mr. Ed is this a notice board. Um, and on that notice board are a bunch of little things, which I found quite entertaining. There's a, a little sign for Applesauce Tuesday, Michael. Leave your teeth in the room. <laughs> uh, but it seems like they don't have too much variation because there's also a flyer for Applesauce Thursday. <laughs> Which does tell you though, don't panic because pudding is also available. On the list is on the, the notice board, sorry, is also a sign that says today, Bojack Horseman, star of the colour film Secretariat, um, <laughs> alongside an advert for the a rascal scooter for sale, $70 or best offer along with a card from someone um, that says, my grandkids are the best, from Ruth. And then as the um, the worker there turns away and reveals another sign, we see a seminar called 
Why don't your grandkids call a seminar on being less boring Friday <laughs> at 9am in the puzzle room? <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, I also thought it was hilarious that as Borja is schmoozing or hobnobbing Michael in this mm. um, this place, there's a turtle there, an old turtle who's asleep uh, as he's talking to Diane. Borja, in the middle of just talking to Diane, just completely ignores that this turtle man is even a human and just leans on him, puts just rests his arm on his head while he's talking, <laughs> spends the whole time leaning on this turtle, and then as a gopher comes over to ask Bojack for a picture, Bojack just wheels this turtle out of the way, goes <laughs> flying, and he's like wakes up as he falls out of shot. He's then later found on his back, as we've seen many times in this show, they love this yeah. guy, with the turtles kicking his legs, lying on top, <laughs> able to get to its feet. But hilariously, the gopher who asks for a photo, Bojack says, yes, no problem. As he goes to pose, it's because he's an old gopher, Michael. He whips out one of those old time cameras with like the little or the harmonica middle almost. Yes. They're not harmonica, the accordion middle, which yeah. stretches out. But it's on a selfie stick. <laughs> <laughs> it's attached to the head of one of those proper flashbulb um cameras to a selfie stick, which I thought was just such a well layered little gag, that one. Um, I feel really bad now because I should know what those cameras are called off the top of my head and I can't think what the name of them is. But never mind. We go to Mr. Peanutbutter's house and I love the anecdote here when um He's talking to, to Princess Carolyn. She says to burn all that clothes. So, of course, they go out and burn everything, unfortunately, or get rid of that clothes. They burn everything. And Todd is wearing whatever clothes he has left, which just so happens to be a T-shirt. And that T-shirt is, of course, one from the I Had a Ball at yeah. Diane's 85th birthday that Mr. Peanut but I got them. One that just goes right around Todd's body, which I thought was quite a nice little nod. Hmm. And we go back to Whale World at Night, which, of course, was a much darker and serious scene. The, the mixture of characters who were there, who were betting on the fighting between the two whales, uh, was a couple of the bikers. One of them was one of the highway masticators who we've met already in this season. I believe you remember Toad Chavez stealing the bike <laughs> of those. But also there was a bunch of ex-cons there as well who look very similar. If they weren't, they seemed like the ones who Todd spent time in mm. prison with. Just hanging out there, doing some dodgy stuff. Now, I have to say... It could have been a fight, but it also looked like it was could have also been a live sex show in a weird way. Like I couldn't decide because there the were whales. Yeah. There was whales, and there was blowholes that went pew and shot water out. So <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't know which one it is. I genuinely couldn't figure it out myself. So thoughts on a postcard at podcast. <laughs> Let me know about that. I did notice though that the tattoo who ends up getting blasted by the blowhole and falling over. There, he's got the bike has got Gray's Hard as a tattoo on his arm, which I thought was quite nice because he's a highway masticator, Michael. <laughs> um, and the schedule as we get into the back office, Bojack and um, Diane break in there, obviously, wants to get knocked out. Um, we see there's a schedule for all the stripper dancers, and we find a wonderful list of names here. We've got Skinny Gina, who we know about already. We get Bar Lena, we also get Blubbery Betty, <laughs> <laughs> we get Krill Steena. And we get Nadia's name, which is, of course, scribbled out. And then we finally get the most nuanced of all the names, Boobs Daphne, which I thought... <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good writing indeed. Uh, we go back to Mr. Peanut Butter's house. I'm going to, certainly going to try why Michael Hamford dies of death. Uh, and we can see that the garden that they've mentioned changing, because we said uh, the whole garden's been set on fire inadvertently. Has indeed been changed by Sarah's landscaping company. They've swapped out all of the, the turf for cacti and pebbles and what I think is like a, a soil, maybe. Maybe a less acidic soil. Who knows? They did mention it trying to be better for the environment. And I believe, Michael, that actually might be it for my horsing around this episode, would you believe? Some wonderful ones in there. But, of course, as always, not the last little bits, Michael, because we do still have time 
or one last thing, and then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Would you like to go first or second this week? I'll take first with a very quick one, if that's okay. Super quick one, just a nice line from Diane. The episode's called Bojack Kills. Uh, we have learned a few cases in which she has nearly killed um, a career. He's yeah. killed a friendship. And at one point, we thought he'd killed a stripper. Um, but the one person he didn't kill was Diane, who said, as she was in the driver's seat, as you were astutely pointed out for the first and only time in the episode, as she was driving at 50 miles an hour instead of 35, said the words, I feel so alive. Mm. As if, for a split second, she was the contrast. She was the difference to everybody else that orbits Bojack. She was different. Yeah, that's a lovely line, that, because she's finally like into the caper, isn't she, at that point? Mm. And for whatever reason, whether she's motivated by wanting to be away from Mr. Peanut Butter, her feeling alive and feeling excited, although she is only going 20 miles faster than usual, I should point out. <laughs> that's version of feeling alive and wild. But yes, totally agree. Brilliant stuff, that. And in an episode where we're full of death and decay, I think it was quite <laughs> nice to get something along those lines. Um, now, anyway, let's get back to the death and decay, shall we? Um, <laughs> not exactly, not exactly. But it does feature Diane as well, much like your own, because we got, uh, in this episode, some wonderful stuff towards the end during that conversation with Cuddly Whiskers. A lot of great stuff here in the dialogue going on. Um, you have mentioned it already, but this is a little tidbit before I talk about what I want to talk about. I thought it was lovely Diane projecting onto uh, uh, to Cuddly Whiskers the conversation she'd have with Peanut Butter about how everyone was worried about you, you know, you can't just disappear, you really hurt a lot of people, and it's kind of the whole situation of her, she's trying to vent at the same time, which I thought was lovely, to which Cuddly Whiskers obviously says, sometimes you need to take responsibility for your own happiness, and Diane says, you don't think that's a little selfish? Which, as we all know, if you've been watching this show long enough, let me just hop in my DeLorean, Michael, and go all the way back to season one, and you will remember that Diane and Bojack have a conversation on the balcony. And what is it that Diane says to Bojack in season one? I think you're responsible for your own happiness, you know? And mm. to see how much perhaps her feelings on the matter have changed since season one. We are three seasons in. Diane has had to put up with, let's be honest, some shit along the way. Like from lots of different things to Hank uh, Hippopopolis to going to Cordovia and getting that trauma completely put on her from everything she witnessed there to all the stuff she's been dealing with Mr. Peanut Butter. I feel like Diane might be losing her way a little bit uh, mm. because that's, at this point we see her, her saying, like, don't you think that's a little selfish? Is like completely direct opposite to what she was telling Bojack. Yeah. Quite fascinating, really. That's heartbreaking to think about it like that because she's mindful of maybe the effects that these things have had on her life and yet she's lost control of how to actually cope with it. And she's an awful feeling. Yeah, and, and this is you can't help but think this is the Bojack Horseman effect. Like, yeah. this is three seasons of knowing Bojack Horseman. <laughs> slowly but surely turned her into that, I feel. Um, but yes, that is all we have in terms of all of our little hunting throughout the episode. But we do still have time, of course, as always. What's some last little plugs? If you've enjoyed this podcast, or maybe you just enjoy listening to two idiots talk about a horse, then you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Horseman. Please do Give our Instagram, of course, but you can also um, just send us anything you want regarding this. We love to talk ourselves horse about this talking horse, as we'll tell you every week. And anything you want to message us about, whether it's something you enjoyed in this episode, whether it's something in this season, anything within the boundaries of what we are talking about on the podcast, we are happy to discuss on Twitter, of course. We do ask. It's a spoiler-free podcast, so we don't want to spoil anything ahead of time for anybody else. But 
Uh, if you'd like to follow either of your hosts on top of that, just because you haven't had enough of two idiots, you can follow me on Twitter at it's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet, and you can listen to this podcast every week if you're not already doing so on your phone or device through Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on there through Spotify. You can follow through Acast, which I believe you can also subscribe on, and pretty much anywhere else you can find your podcasts. We are available, and um, the podcast will be uploaded on an Acast player. Uh, on Twitter every Friday um, and if you would love to leave us some feedback that would be absolutely fantastic every podcast asks this and we're going to be just the same uh, any feedback, any reviews they can be nasty, they can be nice but those five stars and a few words really helps us with those mad iTunes charts sorry I didn't say mad in case the Apple Podcast people are listening but it does really help um, <laughs> we love to appear on those charts, gets more people listening to the podcast, gets more people talking themselves horse about the talking horse and for this season especially we are welcoming you to retweet the tweet that goes out on a Friday advertising a new podcast anyone that retweets it will be entered into a draw and for this season only they will be able to join the Hollywood Talk of Fame uh, and this week's entry let me just have a, a random check through all the retweets thank you very much to everybody that got involved it is Sane Arsenal fan that's Sane Arsenal fan at not at Abue Stan and uh, <laughs> I know how it feels there because he Played for Sunderland and yet never kicked a ball for us. So I myself became an Abuja fan very briefly. But yes, thank you, not Abuja fan. Stay an Arsenal fan. Um, you will be getting a start in the Hollywood Talk of Fame coming to you via the socials sometime soon. Yes, and speaking of which, let's just address the big horse in the room. No, it's not <laughs> Bojack Horseman, but it is the fact. I made some promises last week about sorting these... <laughs> Uh, talk of fame things out and I didn't do it right and more fool you for falling for it if you're listening to this <laughs> because you believe me and I, you should know after history of this I am not a believable character in this story so the, the the narrator is unreliable that is what we've established here however I promise you again <laughs> I promise you I am trying my best <laughs> and I will figure it out at some point you're going to get such a lovely moment when you least expect it that's when I'll be there but Speaking of Bojack Horseman and all the things that are going to be great about this show moving forward, we are about to enter one of my favourite episodes of the entire season, full stop, Michael Hamflet, because season three, episode four, is entitled Fish Out of Water. Bojack takes an underwater trip to the Pacific Ocean Film Festival for the Secretariat premiere, where he tries to reach out to Kelsey, of course. We haven't seen Kelsey Michael properly since she was fired from the filming of Secretariat by our good friend, or our good former friend, who's actually just a bit of an arsehole, Lenny <laughs> Turtletow. But I won't get any further into that. All I will say is you are not going to want to miss this episode. It's one of my personal favourites. I know Michael Hanford loves it as well. It is, in fact, a piece of art to the highest degree for reasons you will find out next week on next week's episode. With that in mind, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflit. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.